What if you were able to sit down for lunch with some of the greatest leaders in the world? What would you ask? What would they say? Welcome to the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where you're invited to join us in learning the spiritual principles behind big success. Here's your host, Mike Lynch. Welcome to episode four of the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where I sit down with some of America's greatest leaders and find out how they have led with their faith out in front. If I've never met you before, my name is Mike Lynch, and it is my honor to be on this leadership journey with you. I know I have sure enjoyed our first three episodes with Jason Romano and Coach Dooley and Shannon Bream, and there were so many little nuggets that I was able to take away and tools of leadership that I could put in my tool bag to make me a better leader because we're all on this journey trying to figure it out, trying to be the best we can be, and especially trying to figure out how to be the leader that God created us to be. Today, I get the privilege of interviewing Dr. Tim Elmore, the president of Growing Leaders. Tim has authored more than 30 books, including his newest one, Marching Off the Map, about millennials and Generation Z. If you're a business owner, coach, teacher, or even a parent, this book is a must have. And also, you're going to want to take some notes during my time with Tim because I'm telling you, it's really going to help you. Tim served for many years alongside John Maxwell, not only in his church in San Diego, but also with his company Equip here in Atlanta. Tim authored also the Habitudes curriculum, which is used by some of America's greatest universities and teams as they seek to help their student athletes and students in the world of character development and growth. During that time, as Tim has spoken to over 350,000 students and faculties across the United States, along with working alongside teaching leadership to some of America's greatest corporations, Tim is also one of the kindest leaders you will ever meet, and I promise you that'll come through during our time together. So pull up a chair and listen in to my time with Tim. Well, Tim, it is an honor to have you on Lynch with a Leader today, and it is a it is a pleasure to get to spend a little bit of time with you, buddy. Thank you. You too, Mike. I always enjoy time with you. We're always laughing when we're together. We're always laughing when we're together. That is exactly right. I was telling you earlier before we went online that I remember meeting you years ago back at New Hope, the church I grew up in, and back during that time, I remember you were doing a lot of work in the mentoring work and you were challenging people and being mentors. Is that still a passion of yours all these years later? Absolutely. Because we're about raising up the next generation of leaders, I think we have a misnomer that we can do it in massive groups and conferences. And you and I both know you can't do that. Conferences are necessary to catalyze things, but um, developmental relationships are really where growth happens. And that's the mentoring slash discipling thing that we think we understand. I think I understand. And then the next minute I realize I don't know if I really get this, particularly in the 21st century. So yeah, we're definitely believing that's how you're going to develop leaders is through getting really good at mentoring. Have you, have you always had a, I mean, you are, and it was funny, I was reading something Maxwell said, and I know you work with John starting back in 1983 and you guys have been connected for a long time. He said, nobody teaches leadership better than Tim Elmore. And I would agree with that, Tim. And I think you're connecting, you're doing a great job connecting leadership to a generation that we're sort of writing off in a lot of ways. 
it, has leadership always been a passion of yours through the years? Well, when I started working with John Max 183, that's when leadership got on the radar screen for me. So I had already developed a love of students and the next generation. And at that point, there was the late baby boomers and Gen Xers coming on. But um, I, yeah, it was under John's leadership when I was on staff with him that I really realized if we could just equip people to think and act like leaders, and I don't mean power trip leaders, I mean servant leaders. We call them the life-giving leaders. If we could do that, we just make them more valuable wherever they serve. So that's, that's really the answer to that question. So, so you get this passion and this passion gets stirred up in you. When did the whole growing leaders concept, when you got that tap on the shoulder when you went, because I remember the last time you and I were together, you were back in your ISS days yeah. at Enjoy. Um, when did that passion of going, you know what, I need to do this as my calling now. Yeah. How did that get stirred up in you? Well, when I was working with Maxwell at Equip, not the church in San Diego, but Equip in Atlanta, uh, one of our target audiences was the academic world. We want to help schools. That's where students hang out get leadership. Um, after September 11th, 2001, we all remember that season of life. Uh, many nonprofits, including Equip, needed to really focus their attention on, on one thing, not two things or three things. And that's when the academic world was taken off the radar screen. Well, that's when I got mad. I just got mad. And I sat down with John Maxwell when we decided not to any longer pursue students and I said, John, we can't do this. This is changing our mission. What are we doing here? Mm. Smiled and said, Tim, we're just focusing our mission. And I, I realized at that point, I've got to start something that, that does this exclusively. And Mike, in all humility, I didn't think I was any better than anybody else. I didn't think we had the magic wand to wave across the church or the ministry world or, or even the academic world. But we started in 2003, 2004 was when we released the first Habitudes book, which are images that form leadership habits and attitudes. And it began to take off and it was so fun because I was scared to death uh, about, you know, I, am I gonna be able to feed my family? But it's been really rich to see how much people realize we have got to develop another batch of leaders all the time. It's the Joshua problem. You and I have right. talked about this. Moses developed Joshua and then when he passes away, Joshua takes the reins of leadership. But Joshua didn't develop a new generation of leaders. And when he passes away, Israel goes into the worst period of her history, the period of the judges, where twice we read, and there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And it wasn't because God didn't love him. It's because we did not pay attention to developing a new generation of leaders. And I think that's where we are today. We, we're at odds with the millennials. We don't understand Gen Z. And so we're just hoping to God we can stay around long enough to keep this gig going, you know? And Why do you think that is? Why do you think you can even, and I love how you trace that back to Joshua, why do you think that keeps being a repetitive problem through all these years that we focus in on what we know, but we don't yeah. develop what we don't know? Why, why is that true? Well, I think there's an innate part of every one of our hearts that loves to master something. We love to be comfortable and we love the familiar. So I love the familiar, I've already got this world down, and Gen Z is not familiar to me, okay? Number two, I love the comfortable. We, we love to get into comfortable situations because God knows there's enough uncomfortable out there, right. you know, beyond the four walls of the church. And then thirdly, we love to feel like we mastered something. Um, and so I, I just feel like that's part of a problem. But here's another part. Change is happening more rapidly than ever. Uh, the Marching Off the Map book that I just released talks yes. about 
how we're moving not just incrementally, but, but exponentially into a very, very different world. And so we hold on for dear life to what we understand. And I feel like um, we, particularly in the ministry world, have a very easy time confusing gospel with methodology that we use. Mm-hmm. You know, so we just intertwine the two, and we think the way we've done it is the Bible way, and that's just not. There's, it's just not true. So we, we've got to get better at being willing to try new things and, and not feel like we're compromising our convictions when we try new things. So, so for a leader that's sitting out there, maybe it's a coach. And we were just talking, I was just with a group of coaches and they go, you know what? I'm not changing. This is the way I do it. And this is how I get it across. What's going to happen to leaders like that, that aren't willing to understand this new normal that's coming that you are talking about marching off the map. Um, and which I want to talk about here in a second, what, what's going to happen to to coaches and leaders and business owners that aren't willing to make those adjustments. Yeah, they're gonna slowly drift into irrelevance. I, mm. I really believe this, and I don't mean to sound judgmental. I could too. So, you know, you and I both could That's too. Right. That's right. But we'll slowly start being perceived by others as you're not the cool thing, you're not the relevant thing. That's even worse. And then pretty soon we just stop listening to you altogether. And then we're fighting and we're angry at the world when really it was us not adjusting the sales. And by the way, let me just use that metaphor for a minute. Um, you and I, I don't know if you've been saying, I've been sailing before. I lived in California. I've, I'm not a sailor, but I've been sailing with others who understand. Yep. When the winds blow conversely, they're adversarial winds. Not once does a good sailor shake his fist at the wind and say, dadgummit, this isn't doing what I wanted to do. Nor do they just sit down and say, well, you know, the winds are bad today, so I guess we're not going to go where we want to go. They adjust them. I think this is a picture of us. We are shaking our fist at culture and saying, this is just a wicked, evil place that we're living in. Or we're just giving up. We're saying, well, whatever. We're just going to have, you know, 100, then 75, then 50, then 25 people attending our work here. But I think the best ones say, I'm going to take even a bad wind and pull this rope and make it take me where it wanted, where we need to go. And that's what great leaders have done all through history. And we just got to get ready. We're going to need to tug on some ropes now. So you're working at universities. You want work with some of the greatest teams, some of the greatest sports organizations. I think that's a real niche that you have found working with these high performance, high octane leaders and teams. Who are some of the few that you've met that you go, you know what? they were somebody that was willing to change their sales a little bit. They were willing to make that adjustment in the wind. Who are some of them that stand out to you? Yeah, that's a great question. I think the great ones that we all know is great, Ohio State, Alabama, uh, Oklahoma has made some real adjustments. Um, They're great because they have been willing to, along the way, make those adjustments. Think about it, Mike. If I'm willing to adjust something every year, I don't have to do a 180-degree turnaround. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Turnarounds happen because we got way off and didn't pay attention year by year. So um, I just mentioned Alabama. They've got an incredible uh, student athlete, and for that matter, student, but student athlete leadership program that's very intentional to stay relevant to that 18 to 24-year-old, which I think we're all trying to reach. Ohio State, same thing. Uh, Virginia Tech, uh, Oklahoma. Oklahoma, we've been having so much fun with them just engaging, using images, conversations, and experiences to reach the student athlete. 
and uh, they're using our habitudes there, but it's because they're willing every year to relook at it and ask the question, what needs a facelift, what needs an overhaul, and what needs a funeral? Mm. By the way, that's what we try to coach people to do. Uh, Jack Welch did that back in the day at GE. What needs a facelift, meaning um, it's still relevant, but we need to give it a facelift for 2017. What needs an overhaul? That idea is great, but when we came up with a 1982, now we need to really, <laughs> not just a facelift, we need to really rethink how we're doing this. Yep. It's a good goal. And then finally, this is really hard for ministries, what needs a funeral? Mm. Um, yes, my grandmother came up with this idea back in 66 or whatever, and I am going to need to just kill this thing and relook at how we meet that need. And that's hard to do, particularly in faith-based circles is to kill things. So we try to, we try to work with teams to, to do those three things well. And I think every church, every organization, every business, in fact, we've had a group of men here that have been going through um, your Generation IY book with some business owners. And uh, they've been talking about, you know, the, the, the demand of working with understanding this generation. How does this generation, and I don't know if anybody knows it better than you, how does this generation look at churches, businesses, teams, companies that aren't willing to make that adjustment? What's their perception of them? Well, first of all, I would say their perception is you got, I don't want to speak for everybody, certainly right. on board. And thank God we still have some young emerging generation people that are willing to stay on board with us. But I would say by and large, uh, this is what Barna tells us, this is what Pew Research Center tells us, uh, and what our primary research is telling us. They're seeing more and more that faith organized faith-based uh, uh, ministries uh, just don't, don't really get the world that I'm in. Mm -hmm. In fact, our focus groups, Mike, the kids would say, and when I say kids, I mean 12 to 24 years old, they would say, you have no idea what my life is like. Mm -hmm especially at nighttime. And here's why they say that. Mom and dad will say goodnight to me. I go to my bedroom. They think I'm sleeping. I'm not sleeping. I'm online. Oh my gosh, on my iPad or iPhone or whatever, doing stuff for hours into the night. Some of our students said, my friends never sleep. Now I know that's not true. You have to sleep. Right. But it's a sleep deprived generation that thinks the older people don't, don't get their life. So that would be one thing I would say wow. for sure. They also perceive faith-based people as very judgmental. Um, we've talked about this before, and this has been true now for decades, not years. But you're very judgmental. You don't really get the, the idea that, that the world is changing, and you need to change with us. So I think uh, people of faith need to decide what hills we're willing to die on and what we're not willing to die on. That's, a very that's an issue everybody's going to disagree on. But we've got to figure that out because I think we're dying on hills that we're, we're losing the chance to even talk to them about truth because we're dying on hills that are ridiculous to die on. I'll stop there and let you volley back, but no, start that answer. No, and I, I get that. And I, and I think, so my kids are 23 and 20. I don't know how yours are in the 20s too, correct? Yeah, 29 and 25. Yeah. Okay, so we're, we're right there with each other. If you were going back as a parent, I know everybody everybody may wear the hat of CEO or or business leader during the day, but when we walk at home and we drive in the garage, we become a mom or a dad and we're leading this family. What would you be doing different as a parent now of a 12 to 15 year old 
what are things that you would have to think differently of than you had to with your 29 year old when yeah. they were coming through? Yeah. The world is different in this sense. Change is happening faster okay, than it ever was. I know that's been said forever, but it's, it's true today. It's yeah. happening faster. So I would have conversations more rapidly so I could guide, not be a God, but be a guide about reality. Let me give you one good example. Uh, just a few months ago, my family uh, took a vacation to Europe. We were selling two, we were celebrating two graduations. So Bethany had got her grad degree and yep. Jonathan got his undergrad. And so we took a big vacation. So while we're over there, we are exposed to some things in Europe that we're not yet exposed to here. Let me fasten your seatbelt, Mike. I'm going to get really. <laughs> so there are cafes in Europe right now that a gentleman can go to and be served by a robot. Okay. So this is artificial intelligence, which we're hearing about more and more these days. Yep. Artificial intelligence. But this robot is not the Jetsons, you know, where Rosie is coming up to you looking like that. It's a beautiful female looking runway model looking robot, gorgeous robot. And you can be served a coffee and a sexual favor. I'm not joking. Wow. So the conversation in Europe right now is, is that going to help marriages or hinder marriages? And there's a debate on both sides. Some are thinking this is going to be great and the men can have their needs met you know, by a robot and it's not a person, so it's not really a sexual affair. Others are saying, no, that's, that's bad for marriages because, you know, all kinds of things are being removed from the marriage partner. I'm thinking, we're not even ready to have that conversation in most places. Oh my God. So we're starting to have that conversation with our 20-somethings. What do you think? What's moral? What's immoral? What's, what's gray and acceptable? So we're starting to talk about this and I'm, I'm not afraid. I'm a little on the edge by it, but I'm yeah. not afraid. We just need to get to a place where we say culture is introducing issues that we are so scared of. We just start talking about um, something else. And I'm saying we've got to be willing to say what's the moral compass we have inside of us that we will take with us for the rest of our lives, regardless of the world we have in the year 2030. Mm -hmm. I'll stop there. But that's, that's, that was my answer to your question. We are just so way back you know, in our thinking and the world is introducing issues. I would tell you, Elon Musk, Mr. Smart Car, Mr. You know, Tesla, just had a meeting with the governors of the United States, all 50 governors, and his whole point, Mike, his entire point, and this is Mr. Artificial Intelligence, is saying we've gotta make sure that AI does not ruin us, does not obliterate us. Um, he's afraid for our world, so is, so is, uh, 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 Bill Gates, so is uh, Mark Zuckerberg at Facebook. They're afraid that we are now inventing things we're not ready morally to handle. And I would say, here, here, you're exactly right. And I think in the church, we're even where we got a better morals, but we are not ready for these conversations we're, we're, we're needed to have. Yeah, and and that and that really gets us into that topic of you're talking about moral compass yeah. and that spiritual leadership component. Is it possible? in this world that we live in it's it's crazy and it's wacky because none of that's going on in Ackworth right now where I'm at so we're 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 pretty safe over here right now but it, is it possible in this coming generation to for them as a 12 to 24 year old and for us that are leading those that age is it possible to still lead with your faith out in front and have that moral compass 
in yeah. place in your life. Is that still possible? Um, yes, but in a different way. So I, let me reiterate. Yes, it is, but in a different way. So when I started in ministry in 1979, believe it or not, it was so much more easy just to assume some things, assume a worldview that most people had, not all, but most, even in California. We're in Southern California. So, I mean, you know, the land of fruits and nuts. <laughs> so uh, I would say the way we have to change now is we have to, we can be unashamed about who we are, but my language needs to be language that anybody would understand. And that's where we get into trouble because we've got a subculture and a Christianese language. I'm not the first person to say this, yep. that we've gotten used to and familiar with that I need to now. And by the way, Growing Leaders is a good example. The organization I lead is not considered a faith-based organization. I am a person of faith. It informs all that I do. But I have conversations at state universities and public schools and companies, for that matter, that I have to use different language. Now, Jesus taught us how to do this. The Pharisees were ticked off at him, not because he shared anything unbiblical. He's the word of God himself. Yep. But he uses language and parables, imagery, and story, narrative, that they understood. Now, get this. Sometimes he told a parable and never once shared a Bible verse. That is hard for some denominations. Yep. But Jesus, you and I both know this. You look at the Gospels, once in a while he's quoting Isaiah and Amos and others, but many times he's not. So are we willing to do this? He led with his faith, but it was not with uh, passages of Scripture from the Old Testament that we would call the Old Testament. So here's, let me just give you an example. I'm not trying to sell habitudes, but I'm going to say it's an example. So we go into Ohio State University, we're sharing habitudes, and now dozens and dozens of Division I athletic programs are using these. It's truth. You would go, oh, I know what that is. That's Luke 5. But it's, it's leading with truth that we all need to, to talk about, but in a way that is, is, is a language that they would understand. So we use images, conversations, and experiences. Let me say that again. Images, conversations, and experiences that are visual and pictures are worth a thousand words. So now we have a conversation. I'm not doing a monologue here. I'm doing a dialogue. And it leads to an experience what we believe changes their life. So let me, let me say one more thing, and I'm going to let you call me back. Yep. We believe that for those of us that feel like we understand some truth, I don't understand all truth, but I, I understand truth because I'm still growing, okay? I would say we need to know that what's needed most in the 21st century as you lead ministry is to be both timely and timeless. Mm timely and timeless. So I need to understand what's going on in the world today. That's the timely part. I fully get, even if I don't fully use the technology of our day, et cetera, et cetera. But take, take heart. What the young people desperately need today, what students need are the timeless components I have. So I recently was in, in front of a group of university students. They're getting ready to transition from backpack to briefcase. Okay. They're going into their career. Um, I would say I will always hire a disciplined employee over an undisciplined one every time, any year. I will always hire an honest employee over a dishonest employee every time, whatever year you're living in. So we need to take heart that there are some, now we need to figure out what they are. Yep. What are those values and virtues that I would say any day I live in, I will need those. 
So that's a plumb line, isn't it? Remember the prophet Amos talked about a plumb line. Yep. Plumb lines are used by fishermen for water to see, to see how deep the water is. So they're about depth, but they're also about accuracy. A builder could hold a plumb line next to a wall that he had just built and see if it was one inch off at the base because gravity pulled the plumb line straight down and I could see where I'm crooked. So I'm telling you, in fact, didn't we even call outlaws back in the day crooks? That's you know, right. And that was a plumb line reference. They're crooked. They're crooked off of what we've agreed to do. So I think ministries need to, need to use plumb lines. What is teaching us where we're crooked, how deep we are, and that I've got to have some timeless virtues we've agreed on that we're always, 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 always going to teach these things. Is this the most visual generation that there's ever been as far as what stimulates them and what drives them? Well, at least in modern history, I don't know about how visual they were, you know, a thousand years ago, but very likely, yes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we, we're now even sending bitmojis and emojis and stickers, you know, to our friends. And uh, so absolutely, we've got to figure out a way to harness the metaphor, the visual, the image. And that's what we're trying desperately to help people do, leaders do. Uh, with habitudes. But um, yeah, I, I think it is, at least in modern history, uh, Mike, all of our data shows us that. Yeah. All right. This is, this is the selfish question in the bunch, but I'm going to ask it. If, if you were standing up leading a church week to week, you were pastoring in uh, the year 2017, 2018, and you were leading a, a group of people and had multi-generations in your audience, what are the most important things that you think a pastor, as a communicator, and as a leader needs to know about leading this generation? Okay, wow, that's a great question. I hope I can give you a good answer. Oh, these are um, all great, Tim, you're awesome. I'm gonna do my best. I would say, first of all, that I need to get out of the good versus bad fight and get into the life versus death battle. Um, I think this is what Jesus did. Um, people are mad today in Charlottesville or wherever they are, they're mad. We're mad because we have multiple camps emerging that just don't get each other. So here's what I'm thinking. We've all got a little bad in us and a little good, and we've all got a, you know, you, you know what I'm saying. Yep. So I need to stop thinking that I'm righteous and they're not righteous. And I need to get into the life versus death. Fight. This is what Jesus did. This is what we need to do. Uh, by that, I mean, I need to breathe life on people more than make sure they got their life together in terms of sin. They don't. They don't. They're not together. And by the way, I got a few things I need to work yep. on even as a Christ follower. Um, so life versus death versus good versus evil. Okay. And I mean, that means I need to look more like Jesus than a Pharisee. I need to look in the mirror and say, am I looking more like Jesus than a Pharisee right now? Okay. Secondly, I need to be... Uh, starting where they are and leading them to where they need to go rather than starting where they want to be. Um, when I'm with seminary students in higher ed, uh, they're still angry at how biblically illiterate the world is. And some of them are now saying, well, we, we need to, we just, we just, they, they just need to get their acting. No, 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 no. Jesus didn't try to bring people up to a certain point and then talk about where they, you start right where they are. And if they are biblically illiterate, I need to go, okay, instead of getting mad, I need to get busy. Instead of getting mad, I need to get busy. Mm. Start where they are. So, and by the way, that's what we need to do with kids. Let's just take the next generation. Uh, do, does Generation Z and do millennials still have struggles? You bet they do. 
And probably it starts with anxiety. We can talk about that later. But I need to start where they are and lead them where they need to be with an arm around their shoulder. I need to be a velvet-covered brick. Mm. Velvet on the outside. I believe in you. I support you. I get you. But brick on the inside. This is where we need to go. And it's tough, but we're going to do it together. So that's, that's what I would say there. Um, secondly, I think Andy Stanley says this so well, our mutual friend. Uh, we need to be... Um, we need to balance the real and the ideal. I'm not sure if he said that to you, Mike, but, but he said this to me in many, many conversations we had over lunch. Um, the real is over here, and some of us can't deal with the real. The real world is there, there is a gay population. There is, uh, in fact, not just LGBTQ, and then onward from that, uh, I think Facebook gives us 50-some options for who are what our sexual identity is. So the real is out there and we need to get real, okay? But the ideal is what Jesus calls us to always. And no matter what kind of world we live in that's full of stick and thin, thick and thin. So if I'm willing to to do that, I'm still calling them to to the ideal, but it never feels judgmental. It just feels like a great higher calling that I'm being called to. So um, I, this probably deserves an hour of conversation we're giving oh, here, but those would be the things I would do if I was back in a faith-based context. Uh, use the imagery, micro-learning. That's another thing, micro-learning. Pastors and leaders are going to have to figure out micro-learning. So we've got this long talk we do, and people have gotten used to it in the church, but micro-learning is what's going on outside. So messaging is a lot shorter um, we just have to do a lot of micro messages if we need to go deep on something, but um, people's, people's attention span is shorter now, and I need to mix things up. So let me give you some data, Mike. In the year 2000, a teenager had an attention span of 12 seconds. Now, that didn't mean he couldn't pay attention longer. It just means I'm going to be diverted in 12 seconds. Today, the average teenager's attention span is six to eight seconds. Wow. Okay. Now, again, that, doesn't mean, that, that just means I need to mix things up every six to eight seconds. I know that kids that are teenagers will binge watch uh, the, Unbreakable, the Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt on Netflix for hours so they can pay attention longer, but, it, but things are mixed up and broken down, shorter, 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 shorter micro-learning segments. So we're going to have to figure out how that looks in each of our contexts if we're going to be effective today. That's really good. That is really good. And I hope guys will take note of that because it is ever changing. And yeah. the book on how to do it has been rewritten now a couple times for all of us that have, have been in the game, you know, been in the game for a little while. And you're like, well, I'm just getting into my, getting into my yeah. groove. And while we're getting into our groove, things are ever changing around us. Yeah. And uh, man, that is so good. What would you say to coaches? What would you say to a coach that's walking in that locker room with the team and that's dealing with what they deal with from this generation you know oh so well? What are some tips you would give a high school or a college coach on how they can be leading more effectively with their units and their teams? Yeah. Well, there has never been a time where relationship has been more important. Mm-hmm. I think it's always been important. But the coach that is still the old school coach – it's yelling and screaming and talking about X's and O's, but he or she has not demonstrated, I care about you as a person, not just a, an X and an O or a piece of meat or, or whatever. Uh, we live in a very disposable world right now. So um, I just had a great conversation with Dave Hart. 
He's the athletic director. He just retired from Tennessee, but he led at Tennessee, Alabama, Florida State, East Carolina. He's, he's been over some incredible coaches. So I, I need to tell you a great, great story, or a, or a couple of them if you want them. Yeah, that's great. Uh, he said um, that he was a student athlete back in uh, Bear Bryant's day. Can you believe that? Wow. Bear Bryant, this legendary coach at Alabama. He was an Alabama student athlete. So he said one game, uh, he said Kenny Stabler was the uh, quarterback at Alabama. Now, Ken Stabler went on to be an incredible NFL player. You might remember Ken yep, Stabler. Absolutely. But um, Ken Stabler looked over the sidelines, and he saw that the down marker was at third down. You know, they, those things that they turn. Yep. And so he went back to the huddle. Well, he looked over too soon. The referee had, is, or the linesman are just turning it to fourth down. So Ken Stabler, the quarterback, thinks it's third down. It's really fourth down. So his plan is we're down by two points. We need to get close enough to kick field goal. And then the, time, the clock's going to run out. Uh, and by the way, there's just a few seconds left. So he calls. He's going to throw the pass out of, down, out of bounds or take a knee. You know, and so now we'll go to fourth down. We'll kick a field goal, win the game. Well, you know, the reality is it's fourth down. Oh, gosh. He throws the ball out of bounds. Everybody in Tuscaloosa goes ballistic. They are screaming, cursing, yelling. It's this quarterback sucks, you know, blah, 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 blah. Bear Bryant makes a beeline out to Kenny Stapler. And everybody thinks the guy's going to shoot him. He's going to slap him. He's going to yeah. hit him. He's going to kick him, you know. And that's what they want him to do, yeah. you know, because he's just lost the stupid game, you know. Bear Bryant goes out there. Instead of smacking this guy or screaming and yelling, the first thing he does is he puts an arm around his shoulder and they walk in together in quiet. So what, he's communicating two things. Number one, I want you to know this is my boy and don't you boo him. Uh, you know, I'm mad too, but we're going to have a come to Jesus meeting later. Yep. You know, right now what he needs is relationship and belief in the midst of his mistake. And so they walk off the field. Now, the other thing he's communicating to his, yeah, to his quarterback is, I am with you. This is not me versus you. We're together in the midst of this mistake. And I'm going to be a velvet cover brick. Velvet first, brick later. So they do this. Now, the, the takeaway is simply this. Relationship comes before anything else. And I believe that's how Jesus led. I believe that's how we need to lead today. So my takeaway on this is relationship has never been more important anywhere because we have screens, and I think we think they're going to save us. God help us. Yep. There are wonderful, wonderful things that technology does. But technology makes a better servant than a master. And we have made it our master. Uh, and I'm just saying relationship, relationship, relationship. So that's what I talk to coaches about all the time. Uh, and, and you know what? I've, I've taken too much time. I'll stop. No, right. That's awesome. And no, and I totally agree. And one of the beautiful things I get to do is I get to be on athletic field every afternoon working with student athletes. And it's funny going back to my time playing years ago at, at Liberty and to kids. Now that's the one common denominator. Everything else has really changed. Even the games changed, but that piece of it hasn't. And that is, I think you're, I think you are spot on. How do you, Tim, let me ask you this. So tell everybody first, tell everybody about your new book because it is phenomenal. And I think it is a must have for really every parent 
and leader of leaders that's trying, I think everybody in any organization is, is trying to capture this current generation that's going on. Tell everybody a little bit about the book and the heart behind the book. Okay. Well, the book, Mike, is called Marching Off the Map. And I love the title. I can say that because I didn't make it up myself. Uh, this title actually comes to us from centuries ago with Alexander the Great, mm -hmm. that legendary Greek warrior that um, studied under Aristotle, crazy, uh, put three armies together, marched across the known world, conquering every bit of territory he marched upon. But he didn't stop with the known world. He was known to march into uh, places unknown, and he transformed some of his soldiers into map makers. So this is the crazy part. So they're now mapping as they march because they're mm. seeing new valleys and hills and rivers, new food, and they are mapping new territory oh in brand new worlds and frustrating people because they've never been here before. Does this sound familiar? And even though it's, it's a metaphor, I'm telling you, I think we are now, ready or not, marching into brand new worlds. We're gonna have to be coming up with new maps that have never been seen before. And it's gonna be frustrating to people. In fact, that's my point. I am trying to help leaders of anywhere, ministry, coaching, parents, employers, educators for sure, understand how we march into this brand new territory that we just don't like. And uh, like we talked about before, sailors pulling on ropes and trying to adjust. And I think we're going to make brand new maps and look for a compass as well as a GPS. GPS helps us if we know what the street name is. A compass help us, helps us if we have never been here before, but we need to find our true north. Boy, so. I love that. Uh, what a great, I've never heard that said, the GPS compass. That is really good. That is really good. And I think that, you know, you look at it and you go, is there anything, in fact, I know one of the stats I know that you had thrown out a year or so ago was um, students entering college after year 2000 had empathy levels 40% lower than students who came before them. Yeah. You look at that and you read that and we hear what we hear. Is there still good and greatness in these 12 to 24 year olds in a generation Z and the millennials? Do you still find great leaders in that generation? Um, absolutely. The good news is we believe that our creator has put leadership in every generation, whatever, whenever we're living. Amen. So the good news is we, we, we believe there is a higher power that's doing some good stuff. So let me give you some good news. Um, so Universum is a, an organization that has done a worldwide study of the last four generations. And this is really cool. So check into, check out this mic and listeners check this out. Generation Z, the ones that are now the youngest generation being measured today, have a keen interest in leadership, more so than the last three generations before them. So people go, why? Here's two reasons. Number one, first of all, we've been starting to talk about leadership more today than ever before. Yeah. So back in the 80s, when John Maxwell started writing leadership books, uh, most of the leadership books on the market were really about management, not leadership. It was how to manage people better. And John and now everybody else and his brother are writing leadership books. Yep. So that's one thing. I think the kids are hearing our parents talk about leadership and so forth more. But secondly, Gen Z looks around them and says, there is a need for leadership more today. I mean, you look around you. I mean, we know about Charlottesville, Belgium, Paris, 
I mean, Orlando, you name it, we got problems. So I think kids are going, holy smokes, look around you. This will not be solved with a, you know, with the old ways that we've, we've done things. So I believe that we have a batch of young people more keenly interested in leading. And I don't know if you're listening today and you're not interested in leadership. All I got to say is, bless your heart. Good luck in a future that desperately needs people that know how to solve problems and serve people. Solve problems Boy, and serve good. people. And that's what real leadership is about. And we have got to teach the emerging generation how the heck to lead because that's what we need. Now, do I need a badge or a title? No, not necessarily. So we need to divorce the position from the privilege of leadership sometimes. Um, but that's what we've got to go after. And the good news is there is leadership in the latest generation of the latest population. And we've got to teach them how to lead. So I'll stop it. Boy, that's so good. And I, you know, you, you see that and you hear that. And I know one of the principles you hit uh, in marching off the map is, you know, kids don't need teachers anymore for information. They can yeah. get information on their own. And, and you wonder how intuitive many of them probably already are in this area of leadership because they can read and follow and watch and get access to anything at any time to learn. Absolutely. Yeah, it's crazy. So the average teenager today doesn't need an adult to get information. They've never known a day without social media. They probably have never used an iPod. Stop and think about that. They've never used an iPod. No, you know, you and I go, what, 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 what? Um, but let me get really real with you now. The average teenager today has the same level of angst and anxiety as a psychiatric patient did in the 1950s. So we don't even know what to do about that. But I'm telling you, in, in, in marching off the map, and it's not a book yeah. sale, I just want, I'd love you to pick it up, but I try to help adults navigate how do we help this emerging generation grow up in a world that I have no clue about how to handle their angst and depression. And, and, and that's why the suicide rates are up and why they're checking out. That's why they're getting on social media, the, the very cause of the angst, because this is my escape from this world. So I, I want to I dive into that real quick. So they have the average angst and anxiety yeah. of a patient in the 1950s. So yeah. wh why is that? So the, it's easy to look in and go, God, they got everything. The parents take care of all their needs. They got everything at their fingertips. Why would that be true? It's true for a few reasons, not just one. There's a perfect storm of at least seven elements, Mike. But let's begin at the beginning. Um, social media, it, it, let me just give you one little nugget to chew on. If you look at the data nationwide about American American teens. If you look at the rise of anxiety and depression and you, you watch the, the trending line, it directly parallels social media. Mm. So our brains were not designed to take in 10,000 messages a day that we are today. So when you combine everything, not just social media, but everything, but social media is the number one trend. So, um, I, I just believe we're going to have to find ways to deal with the data that's coming at us at a crazy uh, way. I, I believe, well, let me, just, let me just share this. Our brains need silence, and we don't get silence. 
So your brain actually grows when you get margin and silence. Now we call it quiet time, don't we? Okay. That's right. We all need anybody, atheist to, to faith-based, we need silence and quiet, but we don't have it. The world is screaming at us, noise and clutter, noise and clutter, clutter. And so what do we do? We go into survival mode. So that's why empathy drops. That's why without quiet time, I'm in survival mode and I don't care about others. And I'm only caring about my own survival and, uh, and angst and depression rises. Not for, I'm not saying it's levels of, of, I can't even handle my life, but we certainly feel this more and more and more today. So that would be one big reason wow. why. That's yeah. so good, man. And I, you know, I watched it even in my own kids and especially a daughter in that world. It is a, it's a whole, the whole compare effect. We talked about it Sunday at North Star, the whole comparison that they, they know when everybody's on vacation, they know who's with what friend and it, and it drives something that we just didn't, we never knew all that. We had yeah. no knowledge of who was with who. Yeah, no, it's so true. So think about culture as a whole and just let's just take music now, okay? So the Black Eyed Peas come out with a song years ago uh, and, you know, they were large and in charge yep. like millennials were, but they had music for millennials by and large. And so think about the song that talks about let's get it started. Let's get it started in here. Let's get it started. Okay, we know that song, yep. all right? So the, the, the song, not the only song, but that was a mantra for the millennials, let's get it started. So 21 Pilots is now one of many that are singing toward Gen Z, and they have this song called Stressed Out. Think about it, Stressed Out. Blurry Face, my name is Blurry Face, and I care what you think, I care what you think. And the mantra of the song is, um, I wish that we, we could go, uh, I'm sorry, let me get the lyrics right now. Yeah. Um, I wish we could turn back time to the good old days where our mamas sang us to sleep, but now we're stressed out. I care what you think and I'm stressed out. I care what you think and I'm stressed out. Wow. Wow. Even think about how in a decade's time, we have moved from let's get started to now I care what you think and I'm stressed out and I wish we could turn back time. This is the day we live in. Now, I believe there is hope, of sure. course, but we've got to get busy, not get mad. And that's where we have got to make a shift. And that's what Marching Off the Map, the new book, really walks through the game plan for how we make a change to a world where we have no maps. We've got to make new ones. Today. Man, that is so good, Tim. And we will provide in a link in the show notes ways for people to order that book. And I highly, highly encourage every leader to get their hands on that because you put you put verbiage and you put information to what we see, but don't really go, I don't know how to quantify this. And you're able to do that. So let me ask you a question. It's a personal thing, Tim. How do you keep growing? You know, you've authored more than 30 books. You spoke to hundreds of thousands of athletes and coaches and leaders and educators. You've done so many things. How does Tim keep growing as a leader as you're trying to grow leaders? 
Yeah, well, it starts with the starving baker, okay? Most of us are starving bakers, baking bread for so many other people, we forget to eat and we starve ourselves. So you've got to have a game plan every year for how you're going to keep growing, all right? So that's the timeless principle. That's timely and timeless, yep. okay? Um, so that's square one. And so, and I learned that way back in the day with John Maxwell. But now my growth is a little different than it was 30 years ago. I still have the game plan of how I'm feeding myself every single day and week because I've got a plan. But I'm listening now to outside voices, mentors, books, articles, podcasts. Uh, I'm listening to people that are outside of my world. That's how it might change. So <clears throat> I, my question for everybody listening right now is, are you listening not only to your circle to grow, but outside of your industry to grow? So I'm not only listening to other pastors, if you're a pastor, but I'm, I'm now, uh, my gosh, I've got people in business that run corporations that are billions big, and I am listening and asking questions for that. So that would be one. Uh, one way, this the starving baker that that you just gotta you gotta keep going that way. Um, yeah, go are ahead. Are there go. any or well, are there any certain leaders that you go, man? This is a go-to writer for me. This is a person that replenishes my soul. This is if I ever hear this person is speaking, you know, I want to hear or get a get at least a CD of it or a a download of it. Are there any leaders like that for you that you say they just speak to my soul? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I continue to listen to Donald Miller, mm -hmm. um, and um, I, I know he listens to others as well, but for sure, there is no doubt about it, uh, that that would be one. Um, I would say uh, Jim Collins, for sure, because even though um, I might not listen on every subject, he is research-based, and he continues to, you know, to listen. Uh, I love Andy Stanley, our mutual friend, and I'm, I'm always listening to Andy. Um, but I would even say there are books today that um, are pretty timeless, even though they've been written not today. But um, uh, there's a book that I reread every year called Leadership and Self-Deception hmm. by the Arbinger Institute. Um, it's a book that was written for business leaders, but it talks about the self-deception we all have to endure and break out of. Uh, and it's a group of psychologists that, read, that wrote the book. But I reread it all the time because it's always, always, always relevant to me. So oh, that's good. And you say, and I think it was, you said your greatest definition of leadership is being able to lead yourself, correct? Not, not your definition, but your, the way you believe about leadership, the most important part of it's leading yourself. Does that, did a lot of that concept come from that book years ago? Yeah, I believe that before I read that book, but boy, did that book reiterate mm. that truth that I need to get out of the box, not living in the box. But um, no doubt about it. I would say even now in my 50s, I would say if I'm not leading me well, I cannot lead anybody else well. I can fake it for a while, but, but, I, but I can't. So no doubt about it. This is where the beginning this is the beginning of the journey is how am I, how am I looking within? And, and by the way, if I lead myself, well, I don't even need a title to lead because I'm doing it so well. People want to follow me and emulate this man that can lead himself up.
Well, that's so good. And I, you know, and I think a lot of people look in at you and say, man, you got an up close and personal with probably in our generation, the guy, when you think of the word leadership, you think, oh, John Maxwell. I mean, John Maxwell influence, influences leadership. What was it like? And what are some leadership takeaways that you learned from your time with John through the years? Wow, that's a great question. It deserves more than two minutes, but let me try to summarize it quickly. Yeah. I would say some of the greatest lessons I learned back in the day that I continue to practice today. Um, first of all, I believe it's reinvent yourself all the time. Okay. So I learned how to reinvent uh, over and over and over, and I'm still learning that lesson. Number two, this may sound silly, but the art of confrontation. So I remember distinctly entering my career as a people pleaser and being afraid to confront or be confronted for that matter. But I believe I learned that art under that great leader. And today, even though I still don't like it, I now believe that um, confronting and clarifying with people and having the emotional intelligence and the emotional security to do that is priceless. If I can have people around me that can do that, it's huge. And I learned that lesson, the art of confrontation from John for sure. Um, I think now just being willing to um, move into new territory, which is marching off a map, is, is what we all have to learn. That's really the need of the hour, the 21st century. And, and so moving always into new places, even though it's now only my cup, my moral compass that's with me is, is, is now the, the need of the hour. And I think that's the day we, we are living in. So I, I would say those would be the biggest, biggest answers that come to my mind, Mike. Well, I that think. is so good. Tim, listen, I just on behalf of the educators that I know that use your material and the student athletes I know that use your material and the people that are encouraged by you and the, the thousands I'll never meet, but I know the few thank you for what you're doing because you are putting words around a concept we don't we don't have words for and you're giving us a compass to help us as we march off that map so thank you for all that you're doing thank you for your time today and thank you most importantly tim for who you are because you are you are the real deal and i really really appreciate you being with us well back at you mike i love you dearly and it was great to converse with you today. And yeah, let's go march off the map together and, and let's finish the work we've begun here. That sounds great, Tim. Thank you so much and have a great day, buddy. You too. Thanks, Mike. I hope you enjoyed our time together with Tim. You know, as I was sitting listening to Tim, I was just voraciously taking notes because he really has dug in on this generation. And there's so many of those points that we just don't think about. We don't know. And I guess Tim has such a great perspective of working across so many platforms. But on top of that, Tim is a learner. And I took away so many thoughts from our time together. But honestly, what struck me most about our time together was his humility and his kindness. You know, you think of reaching the level that Tim has reached where he knows so many people. He's done so many great things. But yet, at the end of the day, he is humble and kind. And I can't think of a better combination of two attributes than that for Tim. 
And I think you could talk to anybody in this industry that would know Tim, and those were two words that they would all use for him. The guy knows his stuff, and he is on the leading edge of teaching us not only what's going on, but also what's coming. But more than that, he does it with kindness, gentleness, and grace, which makes you want to follow where the guy's going. Now, selfishly, I love digging in on what he would do to communicate differently, what he would do if he were pastor in a church now. I don't know what your takeaways were, but I bet you had some. I hope you'll follow up on them, and I definitely hope you'll pick up Tim's new book because it is spot on and helps us understand what it means that this generation is marching off the map. It's not all bad. In fact, there's a lot of good there. Next month on Lynch with a Leader, we're going to be gathering together with Andy Stanley. Andy is probably the foremost leadership expert out there in our world. And I promise you, you're going to enjoy our time together with Andy. Well, thanks again for listening in. Thanks again for being a part of Lynch with a Leader. Until next time, I hope you have a great, great day. Thank you for listening to the Lynch with a Leader podcast with your host, Mike Lynch. If you enjoyed this episode, you can help more people hear it by subscribing and leaving a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you may be listening. For full episode notes and more spiritual leadership resources, visit MikeLynch.com.